Blog Talk Radio. I know he hit them too. So, 
to those cowboy hairs out there, glory, glory, hallelujah. Dallas sucks once again. So we're going to get to that them in a moment. We're going to save those assholes for last. So we'll get to some <laughs> baseball first. Speaking of assholes, speaking of assholes, how about those Houston Astros not being in the World Series? There is a sports god after all. Hell, there is a, there is a god after all, period. I mean, when they were this close to rallying back from an 0-3 deficit to possibly whistle their asses back to the World Series with a sub-500 regular, sub regular season record at that, I'm like, come on, Tampa. Come on, come on. I was at the every Houston win. I was like, come on. Come on. Come on, Tampa. Come on. And I normally don't like Tampa because they, they hate on my Yankees. They're trying to be the Yankees. You know, they're a well-run organization minus the resources. But still, the point is, it's mm-hmm. like I'm just like, come on. I can't, I can't have uh, Carrera and Jose Altuve and their chief Altuve. back in the World Series. I cannot have it. I could not have it, even though they wouldn't have cheated away back there. Back, you know, back there. But still, that no one wants to see a sub hundred, sub hundred regular season team in the World Series, right? Abbreviated season or not. But still, the point is, is Houston's no longer there. Houston's not there. Tampa's there instead. So even though they're going to make it, the asses beat by the Dodgers. Um, I'm happy to see not see Houston there. But um, speaking of the Dodgers, you know, they, I mean, I'm surprised that they, they choked their way out of it. Unfortunately, um, you know, your beloved Atlanta Braves, man, they, they, they choked them harder than the Dodgers. I hate to say it like that, but I'm just saying, y'all were up three games to one. Yeah. And, and y'all found a way to give away a three to one series lead. But nevertheless, here we are. So, Basically, let's just, you're a Braves fan. I have a lot of respect and love for you, bro. So I'm just going to live you, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes or more to get off your chest about how you feel about your beloved Braves giving back a 3-1 to series lead. Take snatching the victory, snatching, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> I'll tell you this much. Um, we've seen this movie before, right? It was very much so. Right like the Atlanta Falcons versus the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. You know, big lead going into the half. And, you know, the the difference was, though, and and, and I'll keep saying this because a lot of people looked at me funny when I said it that day. Don't start the circle jerk too early because (laughs) Tom Brady is still on the other side of that field. I don't trust right. this 28-3 to lead. And people laughed at me, shrugged their shoulders, and then halfway through the fourth quarter, they looked at me, and I shrugged my shoulders and said, hey. Like I said, it was very reminiscent. And let me explain. The issue was, okay. you know, there was mild issues on the offensive side of the ball for the Falcons, <clears throat> which parallels the same thing with the Atlanta Braves. Now, I didn't watch game five, but I did watch game six and game seven. And, of course, the biggest thing they will talk about offensively with the Braves in game seven is the gas when the bases were loaded. And I think it was like the sixth or seventh inning, and you had the base running issue 
where the um, the line drop was hit towards the third baseman, and they ran down. I forget who it was. I want to say it was Acuna, and they did the rundown with him um, at third yeah. base. And then, of course, you yeah. had the base runner mistakenly run the third base, getting the double play, and, of course, helping them out of that inning. When it's a situation where the Braves, who had no outs at that situation, could have gotten out of that inning probably with a couple of scores, and it may have uh, scared the momentum in that game. But we'll never know. And, yes, that was huge, right? But, of course, you still have more innings to go in the game. And the other thing that was an issue for both the Falcons and the Braves, defense or, in the Braves' case, pitching. Their pitching staff, which a lot of people said that they had issues with going into the playoffs, was finally exposed in game six and seven, especially in the late innings when you had the likes of Betts, Bellinger, and, and, and Seager have been, and oh, my God, Will Smith. Now, like I said, I hadn't watched games one, two, three, four, and five of the series, right? It was fine with mm-hmm. it. They're up 3-2. I'm like, okay, cool. Now I have an opportunity to really sit down and watch these games. I probably shouldn't. You know how they say sometimes fans may curse their team when they're watching, and that's exactly how I felt, especially with the whole Will Smith versus Will Smith situation. The first time ever you have two players with the same name facing off against one another in a league championship series at that, and what happens, the L.A. Will Smith rocks the Atlanta Will Smith, and it turned game seven completely around. Oh, man, and, of course, to get jiggy with it, jokes came out, and I got tired of hearing that. And then, of course, game seven, Bellinger, of course, has the big game. Um, Same thing with Seager. Mookie Betts is Mookie Betts, not only offensively, but defensively. He had three of the best defensive plays probably in the playoffs and games five, six, and seven consecutively to stop the Braves from getting points on the board. And, yeah, hey, that's what happens when you spend money. You get players and you hope that they produce, and that's exactly what happened with the the Dodgers. It just seems as though that, unfortunately, the Braves, as good as their bats were, their pitching just ran out of gas in game six and seven, and they got exposed. Same thing in game five, you know really. You know, they were up big in game five, and, and I'm sorry, right. game six, and, and and gave up the big lead in game six. So, you know, they were just the pitching staff was just exposed in the last two games of the series. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, Atlanta and L.A., Dodgers are built so similarly, right? They're both great, yeah. and mm-hmm. they got good pitching. I think mm-hmm. LA is deeper. They got more they resources, are. and you know, you know, and, and I think that the addition of Mookie Betts in the off season paying dividends. He's tough. He's fun. He has that Boston Red Sox toughness about him. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't fold in the big moments. It's not. It's, there's nothing new to him. His old hat at this point. So I think that's helping out the Dodgers. And, you know, it also helps that uh, Kershaw actually did not throw up all this much, in particular in the game one of the World Series against the, the Rays. But but going back yeah. to the uh, to, you know, the Braves and the Will Smith matchup, I was going to say, I guess, L.A.'s Will Smith turned into Dr. I'm sorry, turned into Uncle Phil, rather, 
<laughs> just out there. Your Will Smith out the front door with Jack and Jeff. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but man, I mean, it's it's hard being a Atlanta, especially particular Georgia sports fan. It is very hard to, to stay. And had dude, to be. there's a video on Facebook with some guy. I'll, I'll share it to you. I'll share it to you on the um, on the uh, Clown Times uh, Facebook page, maybe on Twitter too. But he just mm-hmm. goes off. He's a Bulldogs fan. He's a brother. He's a Bulldogs fan. That's even worse. But starts going off on the Bulldogs after the loss to the Crimson Tide. And then it yes. transformed to his anger at the Braves and the Falcons. He's really mad at the Falcons, too, by the way. The Falcons and then, then the Hawks for being, quote, a church league team. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta listen to it. I swear, uh, I show the Facebook page, Valentine's Facebook page. It is hilarious. It is freaking hilarious. It's laugh out loud, funny. But, but let's just say this, man. I'll, all jokes aside, I think you're, I think the Braves. You guys were good early. What I mean mm-hmm. by that is, you guys have been rebuilding for a little while until the last few mm-hmm. seasons. But you guys really came out of nowhere last year. And, you know, what, what led, led by Acuna Jr., Acuna Jr. And I think you guys really took it to the stri- – almost to the stratosphere. Almost. And I think that you guys and the Dodgers are the two best teams in the National League, hands down, going forward. Uh, I like both of y'all. I like both of you guys. And which is going to be interesting because that, that kind of relives – like revised the old rivalry from the eighties, you know. Yeah. Like when the like with Braves and the Dodgers were both in the and with both in the National League West, so mm-hmm. you know how how do, how does a team in Atlanta end up in the in the in the division with West in it? It's not it's, it's beyond me, but that's not a hit on there. But the point is, is that I think that's going to be the two. I think that's going to be a marquee matchup in the National League for years to come. And the way that the Atlanta, that you guys. Do your your scouting, your free agency, your you know your front office and your personnel, along with the Dodgers, I'll be with more resources. I I think it's going to be like this for the next four or five years easily. Yes, Atlanta's a very young team still. I mean, if they're capable of bringing back Ozuna um, after that one year deal that he has this past season, um, and they're somehow capable of helping out that bullpen, you're right. That will be a rivalry for the next couple of seasons. Yes. Mhm. And it'll be a great one too. So, so, so this uh, at least that's a glass half full for you, my like like for you. I mean, I I feel for you, my man. Yeah, it was it was, ahead, it was real rough watching game six and seven. <laughs> it was, um, yeah. especially after the jubilation and and having to be here in the D.C. area and watching. The Nationals fans be excited as excited as they were throughout the entire playoffs last year, and I was just hoping to have a piece of that this year to kind of rub in their face. But of course, I probably would have gotten the whole asterisk uh, explanation. So I'm kind of glad that sure. they didn't win it this year. So you know, hopefully, you know they become they continue to be competitive next season, and then we have a situation. Uh, uh, well throughout the regular season, at least getting to the NLCS again next year. Right. Um, 
So speaking of going back to the World Series, I mentioned earlier that the Dodgers just housed, housed the, the Rays in game one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Kershaw showed up, which is good. And Mookie Betts did Mookie Betts things on the base pads. And, yeah. and, 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 and also that big RBI later, later in the game. Tampa's up right now, I believe. They were up one nothing in the third inning when I last checked. They're still one nothing mm. now, now about to end the fourth. Um, the, the pitching duel is nice, man. You got Snell going for the range. He has a no-hitter through three. And the Dodgers mm. starter, uh, um, as a matter of fact, it's weird. It's like they got two pitchers. They, they're, down to the, they're, up, they're down to the third pitcher already for some reason. But nevertheless. You know, they all combine for a one hitter if you could believe that through three. So this mm. figures to turn pitching duel, pitchers duel in, in game two. So all that to say is this well, first of all, this is the first World Series in recent memory that has the two best teams from each of their respective um leagues. Mm-hmm. Rays being the like recognized them. Rays had had the had the best regular season record in the American League, the Dodgers of course blew away the rest of the National League. Um, do you can't get the Rays a chance against the Dodgers at all? If so, what's the percentage? Ooh. I don't necessarily give them much of a chance. Um, I do believe, though, this series can go six, maybe even seven, and that is because of the pitching staff that the uh, the Rays have. Um, the one thing, of course, you know, their they're, they're bats – aren't as strong as the Dodgers. And the question is, at what point, if any, will um, the, the, the Rays in their pitching will be able to slow down the, uh, the Dodgers? They're doing a great job of it tonight. The key is, though, they're going to have to be able to do it for four nights. And, you know, the, the, the adage of great pitching beats great hitting any day I'm going to need you to show it to me four times in this series because I'm not necessarily convinced that it necessarily happens um, in this series. I mean, Tampa's a great team. We always talk about it on the show, how they do so much with so little. Um, the, the, the thing is, though, they, they're going to have to be able to do Tampa things, which is play small ball and pitch extremely right. well. Um, unfortunately, it didn't help him out in game one because uh, the usual suspects, like I said, from games five through seven in the NLCS showed up again in game one. Um, they're going to have to figure out a way to quiet them and um, get on the board themselves. So, yeah, let's let's see if they're capable of doing that. But I don't think that they, they'll win this series. I don't. I, I got the, um, the Dodgers in six. You know what? My stupid ass put the Rays in seven <laughs> because I thought that the um, I thought that the Dodgers found a way to choke their way out of it again. Mm-hmm. They it's been a while since they won the World Series, the Dodgers, and it has. I just they've been they've they've gaggled on themselves in the big moments of last few seasons, right? Even the one yeah. against the cheating ass Astros, they had that series, and they gagged mm-hmm. Game Seven away. So. Until they don't gag another one, I I, I don't trust the Dodgers. Talent wise, they're better. Eon's better than the Rays. I just like think the Rays are tougher, and I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that that they will gag away a World Series 
title if they had the chance. Albeit they almost got the way to ALCS, the pennant, against those yeah. Astros, but nonetheless, they, they, they didn't complete the choke job. So that's why I have this in seven. It won't stop me if the, if the Dodgers – the Dodgers had the time to beat them in five. Let's just be real. And that's not taking nothing away from the, the Rays. The Rays are talented. Again, they're so well run. I think this is an article ESPN right now, how they changed on, on how the Rays front office has changed baseball. I saw that, so well yeah. run I didn't get a chance to read it, but I saw it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to read it as soon as I get off this podcast. But, I mean, the again, I, we talked about this over and over and over again when it comes to Tampa. With the limited resources that they have, they're so well run. For them to, to be competitive year in, year out for the past five or so seasons, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just that's going to show how well run they are. But I still have to say that I have a lot of respect for Tampa. And even though I think the Dodgers are just eons better on paper, pitching and hitting, I just think that there's a choke factor that the Dodgers have over the Rays. So, again, I know, you know, it's early. We're only game. And I, I figure Tampa will bounce back at least for a couple games. But we'll just see. But, I, I, again, until the Dodgers prove to me otherwise, I I think they'll choke in that big moment once again. It's just a matter of when and stuff, if so. We'll, we'll see how that goes. So, this great segue from that to the NFL the NFL has down three unbeaten teams. Mm-hmm. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the Tennessee Titans, and the Seattle Seahawks. All three have looked pretty impressive, especially Seattle, given the competition. I mean, they, they, they beat Dallas. Well, I know Dallas sucks record-wise. We'll talk about them later. But Dallas is very talented. You know, and they're going to play, um, they being the, the, the Seahawks, they're going to play the Cardinals this Sunday, which is going to be good. It's going to be very good. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh and Tennessee are going to face off this Sunday as well in the 1 o'clock game down in Nashville, which will be, that's going to be like, that's my game of the week, hands down. So that will provide <clears throat> us a chance to see which of these two teams the AFC are for real and which one of these, those two teams have the better shot of knocking off Kansas City. Um, I just like the Steelers, not because I'm just a fan, but our defense, I mean, I think we're more balanced than the Titans. I mean, we got the second-best defense in the league in terms of yard allowance. And mm-hmm. Tennessee is, like, shockingly one of the worst. I mean, they're like, they're like, what, Thirty second, like, they're like I think like twenty fifth or some shit like that. And Seattle's defense is just horrible. They yeah, it's so bad that the Falcons are better than they are. That's how bad they it are. It just Seattle's happens to be that their offense disguises that. Yeah, and they do a good job of that. But I mean, Seattle's defense yards for game wise is dead fucking last at four hundred seventy one point mm-hmm. two yards a game. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> Ouch. So, yeah, I mean, I think Seattle's going to meet their comeuppance eventually because the defense is so porous. But, I mean, that's, I, I don't know if that's the byproduct of the, of, of the mantra, let Russ cook, 
You know, they don't have much of a running game. So they air out the, the ball over the place. And God bless Russell Wilson, a big fan of his. Of course, he's a fellow Wolfpacker. But um, mm-hmm. he's a Wolfpacker, that is. But still, the point is, is that I think they're going to they're gonna come fall short because of the lack of defense. Now, what's helping to the C's case is, of course, King Henry. Derrick Henry on offense. Toting the rock. Mm-hmm. You saw that dude. You saw a dude bust off a 94-yard touchdown run last week against the Texans, right? Where he just yes. went to the line and just took off. I mean, dude is like he's listening six four, but people say he's more like six five to six six, and weighs over two hundred fifty pounds. Hmm. And can move like that. Yeah. So imagine a brother that big that can move that damn fast. He's like what Skip Bayless calls him, a moose that runs like a deer. That's that's Derrick Henry. Cover up the Titans' defense as well as uh, the the great player of, of Brian Tannehill. It's amazing what a change of scenery and coaching would do to a to a to a player, particularly a quarterback. Um, yeah. And so and so I'll say this: they're missing their left. The, the Titans were missing their left tackle for the rest of the year. I think he won his last name is to with twenty ACL, which sucks for them. But that's going to make play in the hand, that's that may play in the hands of a Pittsburgh pass rush, and we know how great the Steelers are against the run. So I mm-hmm. think between those two teams in the AFC, I think Pittsburgh is better. But this is going to be a hell of a it's going to be an entertaining game this Sunday, and even though it's different divisions, the Titans still look at the Steelers as a rival. And they still have Steelers week whenever they played them. So it'll be interesting to it be interesting to watch um, them going forward. But what are your, your two cents on the AFC teams, the two unbeaten AFC teams in Seattle as a whole? You're absolutely right. Um, I like them both. You know, um, even though I'm not a Steelers fan, I, I, I tend to be big on Pittsburgh, um, especially over the past 20 years mainly because of coaching, especially because of Mike Tomlin. And, and, and you know, mm-hmm. you probably dislike him um, a lot more than I do because he is the coach of the team that you are a fan of. But from an outsider looking in, I, I highly respect him as a head coach and the way that he prepares that team. Well, the way that he and his staff prepares that team to get them ready on a weekly basis, even in situations in which uh, – um, People think that they're down, especially like last year um, where they struggled at times in the beginning of the season but was capable of turning around and almost made the playoffs. Um, and it just showed that, hey, we just need Big Ben back to help this, this offense to get running again. And the defense is going to be the defense, and we're going to continue to play well. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens um, in this matchup against the Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry, as as much of a monster as he is, there are a couple of se- games this season where he just happens to falter, and I'm expecting that game to show up this week. So it's going to be very interesting to see if I'm going to be right or if Derrick Henry's going to prove me wrong, because if he's capable, of, uh, if he's if he's capable of running over uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, this game could be a shootout, and it's not like the Tennessee Titans can't compete in a shootout. Matter of fact, they shot out the Kansas City Chiefs during the regular season last year. So, um, yeah, yeah, as did I. As did I. I remember that game vividly. 
Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to make sure that I'm, I'm in front of a TV so I can go ahead and watch that game as well. But um, to your point with the, uh, the Seahawks and the Cardinals, the question is that I have is what Arizona Cardinal team are we going to get? Like you said, the, um, the Seahawks can give up yardage on, on the run. And with Kyler Murray, uh, Kenyon Drake, and I forget the running back that had a big day against the Cowboys, excuse me, on Monday night. If the, if the three of them, excuse me, can get going against the Seahawks, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. The thing is, though, you don't want the Seahawks to have the ball last um, and, and, and have it in the hands of Russell Wilson because we've seen what he's capable of doing because he's, he's literally carrying this team on his back by himself. And it's not like this is the first time he's mm-hmm. done it because he's really been doing it for the past couple of seasons. Um, since the disbandment of the Legion of Boom, you know, the defense has been there and they've been able to make plays. They're just not – you know, your your uncle's Legion of Boom. So mm-hmm. um, it's going to be very interesting to see if Arizona has used that game as a maturing moment to help them compete within the division or if it was just them stopping on a real bad team and getting a W on the road. Mm. You know what? I hadn't decided, I hadn't decided on games yet, but that's gonna be big. That's gonna be big out, out west in the in, in the NFC West. Mm-hmm. I like I like Arizona a lot this year. I like them coming to this season. Um and the when the and the fact that Houston gifted them like uh Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins, that makes that makes that, that that's made Kyler Murray's life even more easy more like more easier. Well more easy I I should say. And you know, it, and he's only getting better. And I like the running attack. I like the fact that uh, we'll get into this later, of course, to keep reference this Monday night game, that Kyle Murray only threw nine passes. And yeah. he still won by 28. So, you know, <laughs> if they have any symbols of ball control and they're stabling themselves and not get too excited, I think they could, I could, I think they could beat Seattle. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of, that defense been able to to stop and contain Russell Wilson. That's what it's going to boil down to. Um, but I, I don't. Again, having said all that, I don't. Seattle might be the best team in the NFC right now. Um, I still like them and Tampa Bay as the two best teams in the in the, in the, in the NFC. I mean, you saw the way you saw the way Tampa took apart Green Bay, didn't you? Took them apart yeah. after spotting the ten to nothing lead. I mean, I never see Aaron Rodgers' offense get beat down like that in a long time and manhandled. I mean, they didn't have he didn't have a chance. I mean, that pick six that he threw changed the whole game. It's like Tampa has trouble stopping them in route to the ten nothing deficit, and then that pick six where let's just be real, Rodgers was just lazy on, on the out pass, like like on the out pass on passes like that to the sideline. You can't be late. And, you know, he was late, and, and the corner sat on it, jumped it, took it back to the house, and the rest was history. I mean, Tampa scored 38 unanswered points. Mm-hmm. Let that thing, 38 unanswered points, just beat them down. <laughs> just beat the Packers down. 
and now they that that like statistically speaking, like yards per game, Tampa and Pittsburgh are one one and two in the NFL. And remember, I told you this at the beginning of this season that top that tall Bulls led defense and Tampa over the course of last season, and they're only going to get better. And we seeing that you seeing that those fruits being bare, being bore out before your very eyes. I mean, Tampa is just. I mean, when Tom Brady, that's the thing. They have an off season at all, right? No one did. But once Tom Brady gets more and more used to um, uh, 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 to the offense and the and the, the and the players jail around him even more, to go at that hell hell of a defense, Tampa just might be the team to beat in the NFC. And I'm not exaggerating. And I think they can take out the likes of Seattle. I think they can stop Russell Wilson's offense. I think, well, I mean, they already took apart uh, Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and plus, Chicago, I know Chicago only won, lost one game, and they're a great story. They're playing good defense as well. But I think they're all smoking mirrors. I think they're going to fall back to the back. Um once the season gets gets like goes to like the second half, um, and they got a big game against the Rams this, this coming Monday night, which which would be huge, which would be huge. Yeah, you uh, know the Bears' biggest win has basically been over the the, um, the Carolina Panthers this season. So that's you know this will be a, a, a situation where they that that Bears team will be tested. But like you were saying about Tampa and Green Bay, real quick, you know Green Bay just happened to have a situation where they stumbled. And um, if hopefully they can get back to form and with, and be the team that they have been um, in the first four games, five games of the season. And the thing is with Tampa, Tampa's been that team that's been fluctuating too. You know, with their two losses, one being against the Saints, and I can't remember who they're the, – oh, the other loss was against Chicago. I take that back. Um, yeah, Chicago's biggest win was against Tampa. But at the time, it didn't seem that impressive because Tampa – if if memory serves me correctly, they were two and two at the time, um, right. or, or two and, and one, something like that. But it, it just didn't seem that impressive. But we just saw Tampa beat up on Green Bay, so I don't know who's who just yet. You know, it's gonna take until it's, it's gonna wait for me. I'm gonna have to wait until around November to figure out who is really who they appear to be, you know, in in, in, in um in the in their in respective hunt in their respective conferences. Yeah. Yeah. Chicago has a good one. I forgot about the Tampa win. But that was the thing with Tampa was finally was still finding themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, all those penalties they had uh, that that night against Chicago, they pretty much beat themselves, but a win's a win. I could totally get it. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna skip Bayless. Um and of course, um was the other team that they beat the Panthers. That was a sneaky good game as far as the yeah. matchup. I mean, the Panthers are better than where we thought we that they would be at this point. Of course, the Bears are as well. Um, but the Bears played a good game on the road, albeit with a, with a small crowd thanks um, to COVID. But still, the win is, again, the win is a win, and that's, that's solid to go on the road and beat a team that was, that was, that was rolling like the Panthers. It's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. But um, let's let's go back to Monday night. 
We got to talk about Monday. Well, actually, no. I'm not, not. I'm sorry. Before we get to the Monday night game, to pick on Dallas. Um, <laughs> again, I think this Sunday is a truth telling Sunday. Again, you got mm-hmm. Pittsburgh at Tennessee. You got um, uh, what do you have? Like you have like Seattle going up, going up against Arizona. Um, and of course, um, oh, shit. What else? Uh, I'm scrolling to the games here. Um, but, uh, Chicago against the Rams. Actually, Te- Tampa Bay yeah, and right, Las Vegas is going to be a big one. That's right. Yes, yeah, Sunday night. That's a Sunday night game. I'm glad. I'm looking staring right at the game list of the, of the good games I have marked, but I just marked, but it's just passed my mind. Tampa, mm-hmm. there's no truth telling game. If Tampa, the truth telling game that if Tampa can ride this wave and win a when a game gets a decent Raiders team on the road in prime time, that would put them in the driver's seat, not only in the NFC South, but in the NFC period. Because uh-huh. again, they got the defense to take down Seattle. And they can beat the, and, you know, if they beat, play the Bears again, I think they'll beat the Bears. Um, you know, same with the Bears and Rams. I mean, so, I can't believe the Bears have a better record than the Rams. But still, they're two very good teams. I think the Rams will take this one, but imagine if the Bears would have beat the Rams in, in, in prime time. That would give them a huge leg up on Green Bay and the NFC North. It would. I, it it would. really would. Um, but that's just amazing to see there. But I'll be my eyes be glued to the to the to Tampa and and, and Las Vegas. Uh, I, st- I still can't believe Las Vegas as a football team and that team is the Raiders. It just fits so well. The Las Vegas Raiders. Of course, the Raiders would be the team that moved to Las Vegas. But anyway, I'm interested to see how how how, Gruden, how John Gruden and company will scheme against against uh, Tom Brady and company. That's going to be a sneaky good game as well. And Monday night game, so we teased the Monday night game to death. But well, as far as I talking about it, um, Dallas, Arizona, and Dallas. I once put out a, a, a post. Everyone, you saw it. A lot of people saw it where I thought that the Dallas would be just fine post um, post Dak Prescott. Again, praying for Dak Prescott's recovery. Hope the brother comes back even at 200% and, and balls out next year, wherever it may be, Dallas or, or, or otherwise. Um, but the way – because Andy Dalton, he's a capable, capable quarterback. Again, he led the Cincinnati to playoff first. His first four years in the league. Uh-huh. To lead a team like Cincinnati from his rookie year to his fourth year, that's just it's just crazy. But the way he – but I forgot how Andy Dalton is on the primetime stage. Dude clams up most of the time on the, on the primetime stage. He only has a handful of wins on Monday night football, Sunday night football, primetime, in the playoffs, obviously. He's winning in the playoffs. But he just looked horrible. The offense looked horrible. The defense looked even worse. So I'm like, take back what I said in that post, because the Cowboys looked horrible. They 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 looked like cow children, to be honest with you. Um, so, and plus with the team with the mutiny that's going on, the team on the verge of a mutiny. What's what's your take on this present day Dallas Cowboys? Um, let me give you my original take. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my god. 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 All right, so then I got that out the way. When, um, uh-huh. you know, every year, Sleepy Sports, we do our preseason um, prognostications. And as always, I always say that the Dallas Cowboys, who are very mediocre, will end up being mediocre once again, even though a lot of people had them um, winning 10, 11, maybe even 12 games this season. Um, but, you know, you, you, you're, you're talking about an organization. Um, that over the past twenty seasons averages out pretty close to eight and eight, and and mm-hmm. the head coach and Mike McCarthy, um, even though he's had some good seasons in um, Green Bay, he's also had some bad ones too. So you, you're, you're taking a guy who is up and down with McCarthy with a very mediocre team, and my expectations for them, even though they had a lot of talent. I wasn't necessarily too convinced with that defense inside of the ball. I thought that they would be able to mm, just be mediocre and be eight and eight. They they're gonna have to fight to get to eight and eight. I just find it very interesting yeah. that you know, with with all of the issues that Jason Garrett had last season, well, for the past couple of seasons prior. Yo, the, the team is having a mutiny. They're saying that the coaching staff does not have this team prepared on yeah. a week-to-week basis. And I find that to be entertaining because, yes, I understand the coaching staff needs to have, you know, some sort of game plan going from week in and week out and, and, and being prepared and, and, and being able to make adjustments, uh, not just at, at halftime but during the game as well. But, yo, the coaches ain't the ones playing on the field. You know, mm-hmm. I understand they got a lot of injuries, but I'm going to give you the, the same excuse or the same reasoning that was given to me when I would use that same excuse with the Washington football team over the past four to five seasons. Hey, next man up. This is the NFL. You got guys on your roster. They should be good enough to play even though we all know that's not necessarily true. Sometimes you end up just getting dudes off the street or off the practice squad that aren't prepared, and they just can't seem to handle playing against some of these guys, and it's really showing with the Dallas Cowboys. The one thing we talked about during the offseason was whether or not it was a good decision for Dak Prescott to gamble on himself and take, the um the 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 uh, 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 the tender offer right. this year, right? And right. um, I was like, you know, at, at at worst, what he could do is end up playing at his his worst level, which is still a pretty good level, right? I wasn't expecting right. him to get hurt, and there were a lot of people who thought that. Andy Dalton would come in, just be a great replacement, and Dallas would just forget about, you know, Dak Prescott. Guess what? It ain't happened yet. Not to say that it can't happen. I just really doubt it. I also doubt that Ezekiel Elliott is going to have the performance that he had against the Arizona Cardinals 
this week against the Washington football team, even though he will be facing the better half of that team. That defense still loves to give up rushing yards, so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this team facing another bad team on the road. So, well, it, well, it's, it's technically on the road. If the fans were there, it would seem more like a home game for them. But I digress. I don't want to sit here and be a complaining fan. But what I will do is sit here and sit back and watch that game with bated breath for two reasons. One, because, of course, they're playing against my beloved Washington football team. Two, because I want to see whether or not the self-destruction of this organization continues on for another week and how Jura is going to be able to handle it. Because if it happens, and it happens to this organ- against this organization here in-, in Landover, oh, my God, I don't think that he's going to take it well. There's not much he can necessarily do because he's a new head coach. They're-, they're missing a lot of guys on both sides of the ball. Yes, they're bringing back Randy Gregory, but Randy Gregory hasn't played in over a year. But once again, Randy Gregory will be going against um, Swiss Cheese offensive line that probably would be the same if you and I was on that line as well. So, uh, oh, my God. But oddly enough, at two and four, they still lead the division and are a game above the, the rest of the division. So uh, and there were, let's go to and there were, division leaders. There were a botched um, – they were, I'm sorry, bro, but they, but speaking of the two and four, they were a botched onside kick by the Falcons from being one and five. Let yes. that sink in. So yes. basically, the, the the Cowboys, and what they do, well, basically, the NFC East is a is a botched onside kick and a choke job by the Bengals away from every team being one and five. Yeah, this night should have beaten. Philadelphia when they tied them in Philly. They had the league and yeah. they had the way at the end. They should be uh-huh. – every team in the division should be one and five. Yeah. That's, that's, if that's not terrible, I don't know what is. Very much so. And, oh, God, don't really get me to, into talking about the, the two-point conversion decision from one Ron Rivera. That's another situation I don't even know who well, I'm getting to right now, but – well, I'll say this in Ron's in Ron, in, in Ron, in Ron, uh, defense. Uh-huh. He's like, you know what? We stink. We got to, we got to, we got, we got to instill a culture of winning. And he's known as Ron, Ron from this Carolina Panthers uh, years. He goes for uh-huh. it. He's aggressive. That's where he is. So them being on the road, playing with an untalented quarterback, an undermanned uh-huh. team talent wise, he's probably like, uh-huh. Fuck it. I'm not trying to take this to overtime. Let's just do this in, in, in real time. Let's do this. Let's get this over with now. And so he tried to he, he tried to win it, and it backfired obviously. But um, he's trying to instill a culture down there, and I'll, that again, that's in his defense. So you know, I don't for, for what it's worth. I don't know how it'll make you feel, but that's how I feel about that. Going back to the Dallas game, it, it, right quick. Okay. Oh, go. Uh, well, I was going to say, uh, Darius Butler, there's a guy on Twitter, former football player, 
who played for the Patriots, the Panthers, and the Colts, and Darius Butler. He breaks he breaks down yes. film on Twitter, uh-huh. and he started with uh, Arizona and Dallas the other night. And he is savage in his critique, and it's a damn good critique. He broke down the Dallas defense, those two big plays that he gave up, about how the uh-huh. Dallas players just aren't doing their jobs. He doesn't know that it's a bad amount of coaching scheme, not being able to talk properly to the players, or the players don't have the best IQ. Particularly, he highlights the play where uh, um, where Christian Kirk broke off that huge pass play, um, the 80 yard touchdown pass uh, from uh, from uh, Kyler Murray, where the defense, for some reason, in the cover three, decided to blow the responsibility, particularly number 28 for Dallas. I can't think of his name. When he's supposed to be on the cover three, he's supposed to be further back. He bit instead and didn't do his job and let the guy run past him for a touchdown and stride. Um, but, yeah, but you should check him out. And the list is out there. Check out Darius Butler on Twitter. Mm. If you just want to get a bit last and be, learn some football IQ stuff, and you can crucial a few football IQ points, check out Darius Butler on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, but go ahead and make your point. I think you were making a point about Dallas and Washington maybe. Oh, oh yeah. Um, well, two things. Well, actually, it was going to be about Washington and, and the Giants and the two-point conversion. But to, to, to the Darius mm-hmm. Butler, I'll probably end up checking it out on, on Monday because chances are if I watch it, and I see Butler break down the Cowboys and talk about how bad that defense is. It's going to get me giddy. It's going to get me pumped. I'm going to go into Sunday hype. And all I'm going to end up doing is having a letdown. And I don't want to do that to myself, Scott. I don't. <laughs> so to avoid another letdown in a week, especially after the Atlanta Braves last week and them do this, yeah. I'll watch this breakdown because I love watching uh, film being broken down. And, and I want to take the opportunity to go ahead and, and watch brothers like Butler and um, what's your boy's name? Charles Davis. Charles Davis is another guy that I enjoy watching and, and listening to as he breaks down plays and film. Um, and, and what's the other guy that used to play with the uh, – the Chavis. Uh, I love listening to them break down film and, and talk about situations. I, I just don't want to get myself – um, that excited, but the reason why, you know, to your point uh, about uh, Riverboat Ron and, and him trying to build a winning culture, I have an issue with that decision because his response was, the, "Had we been here in D.C., I would have kicked the extra point and gone into overtime." What is the difference? You're not playing yeah. against fans. In New, in New York or New Jersey. There are no fans in the stands. You could have kicked it, sent it into, well, potentially hold the Giants in the last 35 seconds of that game. Go into overtime. You're the visiting right. team. You get to call the coin flip at that point, right? So if you win it, right. the offense, which was very dominant, even though, Kyle Allen fumbled the ball for uh, 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 what do they call it when it's a fumble recovery in turn for it? It's not a pick six. It's scoop something and score. else. Scoop and score. A scoop and score. Scoop and score. So when 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 Allen fumbled the ball for the scoop and score late in the in the fourth quarter, he was still capable of driving the ball downfield and and, and making which was a seven point game 
a one-point game late in the fourth quarter, and, and, and that offense just dominated time possession in that fourth quarter. So if they win the ball, if they win the coin toss, you put that offense, which was so dominating in the fourth quarter, against that defense, and you probably go down the field and you score and you, you win the game in overtime. Or you put the defense out there, which has been dominating the offense in the fourth quarter, Hope they get a stop. They punt. You get the ball and you drive down the field and get into scoring position and you win the game in overtime instead of gambling the situation away with 35 seconds on the clock. That's the way, in my opinion, that you go ahead and build a winning culture. You think about the situation. You take an overview of and you you go ahead and and look for. And analyze everything. And I don't think that he analyzed everything. I just thought that he just saw the situation for what it was and tried to take advantage of what was going on instead of understanding everything that was going on in the fourth quarter. And then for him to do the same thing that he bitched Dwayne Haskins for, bragging about stats, when asked about Kyle Allen's bad play on Sunday, because, yes, he put up a lot of stats, but he still had two turnovers, one which led to points. Actually, both of them led to points. One was actually a scoop and score. But when asked about his bad play, he basically gave Kyle Allen's stat line. Yo, that was the same thing you bitched Dwayne Haskins for. What's the point? What are you doing? And everyone today in here in D.C. has been talking about uh, Riverboat Ron and his history in Carolina, and I completely forgot. Yo, nine seasons in Carolina. Yes, he has a winning record, three of which were uh, a winning record overall. Three of which of those seasons were over 500. The rest weren't. And if both of those were seven and nine seasons, with a couple of six and ten seasons in there too. And I have a strange feeling that this organization may be able to get one positive year and the rest of them are going to be seven and nines or worse. And and I'm like, oh, what do we get ourselves into? We had the exact same thing with Drake, with Jake Rudin. It's just that Riverboat Ron has a better attitude. Yeah. So we'll see. So speaking of, speaking of Haskins, what do you make of the young man right quick? Um, I heard stories about his attitude. Yeah. Um, I heard stories about his lack of preparation. From a guy who lives and breathes all things Washington football team, and you're right there in Maryland, what's really going on, do you think? What do you think is really going on with Haskins? You know what? I really don't know what's going on. Um, and, and, I, and I say this with a caveat. If everything that they're saying about the way Haskins is true, I'm concerned for him as a player because these are all things that he's going to have to rectify even if he's not here. You know, there were a lot of people who felt as though that he needed a whole lot of development um, his first couple of seasons here, and I was hoping that that mm-hmm. would be something that they would take into consideration. But, unfortunately, he, he hasn't had that opportunity, and it seems as though that Ron Rivera has given up on the gentleman and he probably, even if he gets another opportunity, 
Um, this season, I don't know if he's going to be a situation where he stays here past 2020. So wherever he ends up, hopefully it's at a place that has a good um, quarterback coach and he learns how to play the game. I truly believe that being here in D.C., being here at home, is probably a detriment to him because mm. – he has the trappings of, what, oh, my God, the, the one thing that this organization has starved for my entire lifetime is a franchise quarterback. Yes, I understand mm-hmm. that Joe Theismann has played here in my lifetime, that Doug Williams has played here in my lifetime. But Doug has right. only started really one year while he was here. He was basically a backup. Yes, I understand Mark Rippon was here, but Mark Rippon was basically a backup for the majority of his career here. He had a couple of seasons. No one has really shined here in D.C. for longer than five seasons. Take that into consideration. No one. The the biggest name at quarterback here in D.C. would probably be one um, uh, 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 Sonny Jurgensen, who basically was coming in the tail end of his career from Philly, and one Sammy Ball. Everyone else has been less than five years. We we don't have we've never had the oh my god. Think about what the 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 the, 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 the New England Patriots had with Tom Brady for twenty seasons. Think about what the Green Bay Packers had with the long run with uh, 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 Brett Favre and now Aaron Rodgers. Hell, think about what the Steelers have had recently. With uh, with Big Ben, we can't yeah. seem to get that type of run at the quarterback spot, and That's after the, bad the fan base has, been, I know right, and then the fan base has been clamoring for a savior at QB, let alone a black QB, and not and right. add into the mix someone who's from the area. God, they were clamoring for this dude to do well, and he's, he's a bust. And well, I don't want to call him a bust yet. He's not playing up to expectations of some and it's gonna it's very disappointing for him and hopefully he gets another chance elsewhere and he gets to learn and he gets to flourish someplace else. Because as of right now, it doesn't look like it's in the cards because I don't truly believe that this coaching staff believes in him. And they're the same things that they're they were criticizing Dwayne for, they're riding for Kyle Allen about because they have a better history with Kyle than they do with Dwayne. Yeah, it's sad. But that's what happens when a coach brings in a quarterback he's familiar with. You know, Kyle Allen yes. played with him last year in Carolina. So he's in mm-hmm. uh, familiarity. So here's what it is. You know, and I would speaking of familiarity real quick. Alpha, yeah. And speaking of familiarity real quick, there's already been conversation from – from New England, that they truly believe that the Patriots organization believes that Washington will be a big player in attempting to get Cam to come to D.C. Mm. Interesting. There's already talks about that. Interesting. Interesting. Especially when Cam is playing much better. Last game I was sent because of the, the, the COVID week off. But uh, I want to touch one more thing. On the Cardinals Cowboys game, was mm-hmm. that Calamari completely on passes? Yeah, and this 
this is the one thing I, I don't like about QBR. I don't know how the hell they figure it out. I don't know how the hell they compute it. I think um, uh, uh, Trent Dilfer came up with this stat when he was on ESPN, um, which is ironic enough. So, but anyway, how, okay, <laughs> Kyler Murray, he, he completed 9 of 24 passes, 188 uh-huh. yards, two touchdowns, set once. What do you think his QBR? What, is, what do you think his QBR is? Given that, minute, so he completed nine passes for how many yards again? Hundred eighty-eight, but he, it was nine of twenty-four. Nine of twenty-four for hundred eighty-eight. Oh my God! What somewhere yeah. in the eighties? Eighty-two point four. That was his QBR. Yeah. yeah. I was expected to be a little bit lower than that on a scale of one to a hundred. Because he completed less than far less than fifty percent of his passes. True. I, mean, I know he passed for seven, eight, seven point eight yards per attempt, which ain't bad. Two mm-hmm. touchdowns, no interceptions, which ain't bad. Only sets one. Mm-hmm. You know that obviously doesn't doesn't count as rushing stats when you rush for seventy four yards and ten carries, which no. is pretty damn good. But yeah. I don't understand how you factor QBR. That's that's that. I, I've been waiting to get this off my chest for a long time. I don't understand QBR. <laughs> I know it's I. I know it's supposed to be more accurate uh, performance, good or bad, of a quarterback. Again, scale of one to a hundred, zero to a hundred. But again, I anyway, whatever. I just thought I'd just bring that up. That has nothing to do with the well, China. <laughs> I, I know that a smarter man uh, would, would be able to explain it, and, and I have a strange feeling that my co-host, Sweet Lou, probably knows the ins yeah. and outs of, of the QBR, QBR, uh, QBR rating, and he will probably be able to explain it. You know, he, he most definitely goes through BPI, PI, and, and all of the breakdown ranking, ratings for uh, college basketball when it comes that time. So I have a strong feeling he knows about QBR as well. But like you said, I don't understand it either, but he didn't turn the ball over. Did he throw a touchdown pass? Right. Two, two touchdown passes. That's what helped him out. That that's my guess yeah. is what helped him out. You know, because like you said, he almost threw for thirty three. He didn't throw. He he, he threw close to forty percent, right? right? But he threw two touchdown passes out of the nine passes that he completed with no turnovers. Correct. That's probably what helped his QBR out. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But anyway, <laughs> um. We'll get down this on this, man. This is a bonus segment here. Mm-hmm. Dan Van Gundy, he named the, accepted the coaching job for the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, wow. How do you think he's going to do? Stan, how do you think Stan Van is going to do? Quickly. Whew. Man, I'm, I'm actually shocked that he got the position. It's going to be very interesting to see what he is capable of doing, um, especially what he's capable of doing with one Zion Williamson, you know, would he get to Zion and, and, and get him to try to lose some weight and, and, and take some of that yeah. pressure off of his knee? And not just that, you know, will, that, will he be able to get him to play anywhere close to what he did when he was at Duke? Because when he came back, he was a detriment to that team. And he was probably the reason why they didn't make the playoffs this past season. Uh, whenever he was on the floor, it seemed like that team got worse. But they're a very young right. team. They got a lot of talent on that squad. 
you know, so yeah, and depending upon what they what they do with the draft and potentially um in in uh in free agency, they can become a player within that conference. I don't think that they necessarily threaten um for the conference title as of yet. The thing is though, a team that is probably currently the eighth, ninth, tenth best team, maybe eleventh best team in that very deep Western Conference, will they be able to compete with the Dallases, with the the Memphises, the Portlands, before they even start thinking about dealing with Utah and Denver and Houston, you know, and, and, and potentially the Clippers. But, yeah, they're going to have to fight with that, that, that small patch. That's should have small the small patch. But with that bottom patch, just so they can even make it into the playoffs and see if they're capable of competing with the big dogs from there. But I, I, Stan, okay. Stan it, it's been a minute since he's coached, right? The last time Stan coached was with where? He was a Pistons. He was the coach and general manager. In I forgot fact. he was in, in Detroit. But you know what? He was quietly doing stuff in Detroit, but once again, it was the Eastern Conference that was paper thin and and, 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 and watery clear. And so all he had to do was just have that team compete. But he was capable of um, getting, uh, uh, what's your boy's name? Um, uh, a light-skinned guy used to play in um, Blake uh, uh, with the Clippers. Blake Griffin and your boy that played center there. I can't remember what his name is. But he was capable of getting them to play well, so hopefully he can go ahead and get this young team and uh, New Orleans to do the same thing. Yeah, I just, I love him as a coach. I couldn't stand him as a as as, as an executive. He did both in Detroit. <laughs> that's where eventually got him fired because of making some some. I mean, bringing in Reggie Jackson, signing to a big contract, point guard. He's uh-huh. doing that a point guard. Um, um, but really, again, I like him as a coach. The job he did in Orlando before the uh-huh. Howard Submarino. And, you know, he was doing a decent job in Detroit outside of the uh, coaching, the uh, front office thingy. But uh-huh. the man knows how to coach. The fact that he's very, he's very aware on social justice issues, I think that'll help him in the locker room with those young guys. Uh-huh. And there's a video of Sam Van while he was in Orlando teaching like a drill about breaking the press and he was like taking the ball legs behind the back just so effortlessly. Uh-huh. I'm like, look at Stan Van. Okay. Um, hmm. Yeah, who has handles? Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> um, but anyway, I think he'll do a good job. I think, again, it's his key. The key is he's going to be able to relate to the younger guys. People know who he is in the locker room and how to – and getting on – and getting on 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 Zion to make him change his diet, and just motivate him to do that, and it helps that um, JJ Reddick in that locker room as a savvy uh-huh. vet who knows about Stan Van as well. Um, but you know, I think that um, I think he'll do a good job, and with a loaded Western Conference, I think they'll be competitive. As long as the Pelicans are competitive, I think they'll do well. I think I think he'll help Lonzo Ball do well. If, you know, also. So, um, we'll see. But um, 
I think it's an overall decent hire, man. And I think uh, I think I'm pulling for Stan Van again. I like the fact that he's aware on social issues, and uh, I hope he does well. I really do. I like him and his brother. So, anyway, thanks for joining me, brother. And um, no problem. We Washington team to beat those damn Cowboys. From from your mouth to God's ears, right? Yes, <laughs> exactly. All right, man. Take care. Be good, brother. All right, you do the same, bro. All right. I think that's my guy, Dwayne Nash, my co-host, my partner in crime. Please check him out on the yard slash HBCU Sports. And that's about all things HBCU Sports. It's where Sleazy Radio on Facebook Live every Tuesday night. Also, it's awesome work on on uh, Herosports.com. Thank you all for tuning in to tonight's podcast. This is Scott Bergstein off with the Clown Hour. Be sure to keep your ass inside. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. And as always, oh, six, six.